Welcome to Mentality Podcast, where we have real conversations with real people about healthy masculinities. I'm your host, Lao Jokan, and throughout this podcast, we'll hear from a wide range of guests about the views and experiences of manhood. We'll look at the bits we should celebrate, but also its messy parts, while having a bit of a laugh. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Mentality Podcast. This is the second season, and we're starting it with a bang. Before I tell you what I've been up to, and while I was taking some time away to plan and reflect for this season, I just want to give a big, big shout out to those listeners across the pond on the West Coast of America who have faithfully listened and supported the podcast throughout the last couple of months. So big shout out to you and keep listening to Mentality Podcast. To those listeners and everyone else, just let me know how you've been doing. Give me a shout on Instagram on man underscore mentoring. Tell me what you think about the podcast, any thoughts, any feedback you're more than welcome to just get in touch there. And I'm excited to share some great news. Last month, MAN, the platform that I've set up to raise awareness on men's mental health and that is behind the Mentality Podcast, has been nominated for the Best Men's Health Initiative 2023. But not only that, I've been personally nominated for the Future Leader Award by the same organization. How good is that? Absolutely grateful, absolutely thankful for that. At the end of March, we're going to find out if either MAN or myself are one of the lucky winners. So fingers crossed, and I'll keep you updated on the podcast and on the socials. And while I was working behind the scenes, I thought actually, you know what? Let me partner with Travu, a holiday organization that takes hard work on planning great holidays and bringing people together to socialize and connect while giving the best experience in beautiful destinations. This year, they're going to Palma de Mallorca, and all you need to do is to book your ticket and leave the rest to them. Plus, you're going to get a £50 discount on the offer because you're listening to this podcast. The details are in the caption of this episode. And speaking of today's episode, my guest has more than 12 years of experience in leadership coaching. He's an accomplished speaker, business owner, and someone with a great following on LinkedIn. And among those followers, I'm one of them. On LinkedIn, he's launching thoughtful and compassionate provocations that take me on a journey beyond myself. And for me, that's leadership. Without further ado, here's my conversation with David McQueen. David, would you like to tell us a bit more about you and your background and what you do? Well, firstly, thank you for having me on the podcast. I'm really um, glad to be able to share this um, time with you. So um, amongst other things, I am a founder of businesses. I am also a leadership coach. I work with a number of organizations around the country and around the world, indeed. And my primary thing is around my executive coaching and facilitation, just helping teams to be a lot more braver about their conversations, but how to think about how they can strengthen the existing leadership teams that they have, but raise up a new generation of leaders as well. Amazing. You know, there's a lot of, you know, hype around leadership. Everyone wants to be a leader from their workplace, their families, their communities, their faith communities. And let's just start by talking about what is leadership? Oh, that's a good one. I, I, and I think it varies. There are, there are many definitions around it. Um, but I think in, in many respects, my favorite one is that there are people who have vision and influence to take people to a certain destination and they're able to rally enough people around there to be able to do that and do it effectively. So whether that is business leadership and you're taking people on the vision of the organization, it could be faith leadership where you're taking people on a religious journey. It could be community leadership where you're really trying to encourage people to be the best in their community. Whichever one it is, for me, it's around individuals 
who are able to demonstrate those skills and take people on that specific journey. That's what leadership is a lot more complex than that. But if it was to boil it down to it, that's what I, that's how the lens I see leadership through. Absolutely. And I kind of agree with you in the sense that leadership is about, you know, having a vision and having people who join that vision and they, they follow you. A lot of times leadership and management can be confused. Sometimes they overlap as well. Yes. Managers are also leaders, but not all managers are leaders and so on. I kind of I liked how you covered as well what it means to lead to take people on board on your vision and there are different ways to do that and maybe we can also talk about in terms of the styles of leadership like what what are your thoughts on that Yeah I definitely think there are lots of there are lots of different ways that you can you can lead people a big part of the the leadership equation which I didn't mention in the definition because I didn't want to confuse it, is, is around followership. So individuals who follow and individuals who follow a leader to a certain destination or influence that leader, I think that's just as important. So there are going to be a number of styles. I don't get caught up in too much into the actual styles itself because often I feel that can be a distraction. But I look at the way different people lead and you can take from an example like Jacinta Arden, who was the, the prime minister uh, in New Zealand, from the outside looking in, the way that she was able to lead individuals in that country through COVID and what have you, and of course, no matter where you lead, there's always going to be objections, but I thought she was actually brilliant. But I also think it's really important to look at case studies like Elon Musk as well. Now, personally, I think that guy is really problematic. I could never work for him, right? Just, there's no money in the world that could make me work for him. We cannot ignore the fact that this is an individual who, if we park Twitter for the moment, if we take things like SpaceX and if we take things like Tesla, what he has been able to do to get people to follow him on that vision and to buy into that vision is incredible. And so sometimes the styles can distract away from the main thing, all right? Because there, there are incredible leaders politically, religiously, community, business, all the rest of it. And one of the reasons why I don't focus so much on styles, because I think that's contextual, depending on where you are, is I'm just looking at where, the, where are you going and who's going with you and how are they buying into you? And then we go to the wider sense of what the impact can be. But for that first point of leadership, I look at it and go, right, who's going there? And why are people actually following you? And that intrigues me. Like, I, as I said, you know, I, I, I can sometimes I look at people and I'm like, why are you following? Why are you following that person? But then there's, there, it addresses a need, right? You want to go on that journey with them because it addresses a need. So for me, yeah, the, there is a it, styles are important. Let's let's because as I coach, I think it's important for people to understand what styles are. You can't go in and work with Elon Musk and expect him to be an empathetic, huggy, touchy-feely, um, take two-hour lunch breaks and don't work on a weekend. You, know, you can't do that because that's just a mismatch of expectations. And so for me as a coach, I work with individuals to go, look, work with your reality, work with what you have, and you make a choice as to whether or not you want to be led by that person or go elsewhere. But don't try to change somebody and their leadership style, if that makes sense, but see how you can accommodate and work around it. Absolutely brilliant, because I, first of all, you stole my thunder about Jacinda Arden. <laughs> it's a good follow-up. So first of all, the kind of that's why I was leading with the question is because, again, I'm looking at the stereotypes that sometimes people have very views about leadership and how to lead. What I like about Jacinda that she brought very beautifully the idea of you be a strong and decisive leader, but also be empathic and caring. She, this is kind of what has her last message when she decided to leave the office. Because sometimes, stereotypically, we see these ideas, especially as men, like, I have to be strong and courageous and brave. And because I'm that, I can't be also compassionate, caring, supportive, which I think just seem to demonstrate that you can be both at the same time. It actually takes a lot of strength and courage to do that. And the second point about Elon Musk, like this morning, I was just baffled by the fact that I do follow him on Twitter. So just because, I'm, you know, it's nice to get his, you know, to see what he's doing and what he's up to. This morning, his tweet was, 
a single dot ego and viral and i'm like if i would have put that you would have put that wouldn't it get there and i totally agree to like why some people are following him not only like following him on twitter but just literally follow him like like believing and kind of trying to be like him or take his life lessons so-called life lessons you know uh, literum and then try to apply them kind of going to a bit more to the territory of like when it comes to masculinity and leadership like andrew tate for example, you have good leaders in the sense that not in terms of quality, but more in terms of like where they take you and the journey they take you. But also you have what I like to call malefic leaders and sometimes like take you in a journey that be destructive and is not helping you. What do you think that would help us men when it comes to be able to leave those thoughts behind about I need to be strong and courageous, but I don't need to be empathic because that is perceived as a female trait. And that's for because I'm a man, I shouldn't be doing I'm glad you asked me this because it's an interesting space where if we just look at nature and we look at a lot of animal species who are able to demonstrate both masculine and feminine energy at the same time. So if I look at animals that travel in groups like lions, for example, the big lion with the mane out there roaring, making all his noise. I often laugh because I think, you know, we have all these symbols of the lion with the big mane and what have you. It's the lioness that does the hunting. It's the lioness that looks after the pride and what have you. And it's, and it's getting that understanding that there can be a match between masculine and feminine energy. And I look at how a hyena can pick up its baby in its jaws and move it to a side. Yet that same mouth can break a wildebeest's neck or its leg. There's an imbalance between what is necessary to put on strength, but when is it necessary to be soft? And there are times where people feel that, to your point, that softness or empathy can be quite weak. One of the things that um, has really struck me over the last week or, or so, the amount and the way that a number of people in tech spaces have been fired, and it's predominantly masculine or male boards that are doing this firing, and they're, they're getting rid of people, and there's absolutely no empathy. And I'm like, you, you really got people to come and join your company. They've got all the branded wear. They look like you. They use your whatever your language. I'm going to be careful because some of them are my clients. Right? But, you know, you, you are fully aware of how that works. And, and for me, to your point, there, there is a way that we can balance the two. But I understand, and I will say this, I really understand why a lot of men are attracted to somebody like Andrew Tate. I understand why a lot of men are attracted to a Donald Trump. I understand why there are individuals who will be drawn to that because very often there isn't a nuanced conversation around what masculinity looks like. And so when you have somebody telling you to embrace your femininity, or when we have a lot of these gender wars around pronouns and the way that we express ourselves and what have you, there are individuals who will be keep silent and their response is, I'm going to go and listen, I'm going to go and follow that guy because they are tapping into what it is and the sense of identity that I have. I don't really like using the phrase bad, but I'm going to use it, just work with me. I think one of the things about bad leaders is that it's good to know what they're doing so you know how to respond. So if I can put, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use, I'm going to call Andrew Tate a bad leader. I'm just going to do it and, and you can, somebody can come for me after that, I don't care. And I'm going to say bad in that the, the impact of what it can have for lots of young men who are looking at that and going, right, I can have the money, I can have the cars. If I'm going to be in a relationship with a, a woman, I'm going to go in and I'm going to manipulate her in such a way and I'm going to teach her how to behave and all this. And it doesn't leave any room for intimacy. It can create some really destructive relationships. There are individuals who will take that and have no idea the concept of what a real relationship looks like. And so for me, that's bad. That's where you're leading somewhere, someone down a path and you're not taking the responsibility for them to really think for themselves. And so I, I guess in the wider sense of your conversation, there's so much more that we can learn from each other in nature, in society as a whole, where in order to be a man, it doesn't mean, and in order to be strong as a man, doesn't mean that you can't be soft. You know, you can literally be in a space where you do stand and you hold your ground, 
but you can, it's like a, like I'm a, I'm a dad, right? If anybody comes and they mess with my doors, I'm just saying this out here, I'll probably get prosecuted for saying it, right? If you gave me, you mess with my doors, I'm taking you out, right? I'm nice Dave is gone. If it's, if I've got to protect my kids, I am taking you out. <laughs> it's going to be me and you. But that same hand that I know that I can use to physically defend my daughters is the same hand that I know when my daughters come to me, they sink into my arms and they get a hug from me. And there's a possibility of being able to balance the two rather than it being either or. And this is what I love around my coaching. It can be a both and. It's not polarity. It's not a binary. We can combine the two. That makes. I know I rambled on a bit, but if I hope that makes sense. Absolutely, it makes sense. It's brilliant, the idea of, let's like, say, both and because... This is where the polarity and kind of the distorted view we have, it has to be either or. Like there's a nice gray area in between that is also black and white in between that like, overlaps. I think this is my kind of core issue with, with toxic masculinity is that it's a straight jacket that was designed by some people sometime and then it's been forced over, you know, years and years. And it doesn't fit all of us because we're so different. We're so diverse, beautifully diverse, and then doesn't allow us to be ourselves. And you have to just emulate a certain image, a certain pattern, you know, to be perceived men or, or women or something. Because, you know, there are challenges for, for women as well. But again, we're speaking about uh, men. I was going to say that. I was going to say it's really important here as well to know. I'm not a big, big fan of the word, but toxic masculinity also shows up with women. And I think it's really important when I, there are times when I am coaching and I'm in a space where I'm working with a lot of senior women executives, and they exhibit a lot of the traits that are usually assigned to men around, you know, sometimes they're in a space, they want to be the only woman in the room. They sometimes are very disparaging to other women and not understanding. I'm like, I'm in a space where I'm like, you've got a woman's body, you know exactly what women are going through in the menopause, whether they have fibroids, whether they're menstruating, and you have no empathy here. I'm like, in my head, I'm like, that doesn't make sense because you have a similar journey. To your point, and we're not going to go into it too much here, but toxic masculinity as a trait, if we're going to use that word, or those those masculine traits that people have that are quite harmful are not restricted only to men. But because it's a man's world, we also see it happen to women as well. As you say, toxic masculinity affects women as well, because also when it comes to leadership, that kind of emphasize those toxic traits those are the only images we, we've seen or believe there should be a leader. And then, as you mentioned, women take those on boards and emulate that because you think this is what it takes to kind of get to the top or to be the leader. For example, I read an article in The Economist some years ago when it comes to the workplace. There were a lot of men in the... This was study was made in the US and a lot of both male and female leaders who were perceived men who would take button to leave like, well, you're not focusing on your career, you're not firing in all your guns. And again, because this idea of patriarchy just being also affected equally men and women, we don't want to digress. No, I love it. <laughs> so I think that's why it was important for me to discuss about leadership styles. And because for me, it's like, how can we help ourselves? How can we work on ourselves to have that self-awareness that maybe the things that I'm doing should be more compassionate, more empathic, more to expand ourselves, not to stick to the X, Y, and Z in order to be the, you know, the alpha male. So it's, it's what I call a wicked problem. And, and a wicked problem is being defined here as something that it almost seems impossible to solve because there are so many different moving parts that impact it. And, and I'll give you other examples. Policing around the world, getting a really good schooling system, having the perfect healthcare system, all these things. There are so many moving parts that it's a wicked problem. It's not really easy to solve. And again, to your point, how do we get people to understand it doesn't have to be just a definitive one. Like I, I've got no problems with alpha males. I've got no problems with that per se, because there are times where that alpha maleness allows um, individuals to be the protector, to be the provider. And there are a lot of women who like an alpha male. 
if we're just talking about heterosexual relationships here, and even if we even if we're talking about to non-heterosexual, there's often alpha male than there as well. Um, where it, the problem is, as I said before, is when we get individuals creating a model in their head where they believe it has to be harmful, where they believe they have to do things to demonstrate to somebody that, you know, I know I've been in a room where somebody that you can tell by their presence, they're like, I'm the alpha, I'm in here, whatever. And I'm like, yeah, whatever, mate. <laughs> you know, if you, re- if you have to say it and show it, right, you're probably not, you know. Uh, the ones who I know are usually like that. It's the silent, quiet, it's the silent ones who are simmering. That's the ones I'm worried about because I'm wondering, what's going to happen? I'm watching you. Let me just keep away from that. But again, you know, if we're talking about the workplace, if we're even talking about in our communities that we're in, a lot of it is just around, to your point around self-awareness, it's around having those conversations. And it's around having a conversation where we can have differences. And it's absolutely okay to have differences. You know, I, I was talking to an imam a couple of weeks ago, and, and I was talking to him about gender diversity and how I've navigated working with individuals who are, have transgender and are either moving towards from one gender to, to another. And, you know, what started off with this really strong conversation where it was like, trans women are not women and that. And I said, okay. I, was, I said, all right, let me just, for the sake of argument, and, I, and again, I know this will go out into the public sphere, but this is, this is the conversation we have. I said, all right, let me give you that. But what happens to that individual? How do I treat that individual? Based on the fact that I may not necessarily disagree with the way that they live, do I treat them less than any other human because of that? Do I, based on any religious or spiritual or philosophical tradition that you can pull on, is there anything that says to me, I should harm that person because I don't agree with the way that they're living? Or is justice, redemption, or whatever kind of you know way you think that that difference will be dealt with, is that in our hands or is that left in the hand of the divine or any other kind of universe that you um, work with? And he was talking to me and he said, you know what? No one's never really put it to me like that before. And I said, that's fine. I said, we don't have to, I'm not expecting to convert your way because there's going to be certain beliefs that you have and, and that's absolutely fine. But the fact that we can have a conversation where I don't feel like you're hitting me over the head with religious ideology and you don't feel that as, as somebody who's not religious, as an agnostic, that I'm trying to take away your faith. There is somewhere in the middle where we can explore what you believe and what I believe and we can still walk away here as good friends and it's absolutely fine. And for me, that's what I, as you say, you know, when you see me doing my provocations on LinkedIn or when I'm going into organizations, I'm going, okay, it doesn't have to just be black and white. There are those areas of gray. And for me, this is the important point as well. The learning comes from the places of gray. Oh my goodness, the learning that you get in that. You're, you're in that space and you're like, oh, I never thought about that angle before. But it, you know, it doesn't take away from what maybe your core beliefs, your values, but at least it allows you to see how somebody else is living. Yeah, to your first point, I totally agree that the idea of being a male protector or the alpha male, like the traditional perspective of what it means to be a man, there were some positive bits to it, you know, like being hardworking, you know, looking after your family. But you're right, the negativity comes with the fact that, you know, you have to be dominant. Or that's the only place you can be and you can't just move from a role to another to the point you're making about for example like you know sexuality or being transgender and and religion as well i remember a few years ago yeah in the us there were a lot of campaigns uh christian campaigns about you know against uh, you know homosexuality and so on and there was like uh, i vividly remember there was a placard that was saying god hates gay people and i was like that's against the core of what christianity stands christianity is about love and as you say as well like you know, should you treat somebody differently because they have different morals, different values, different views on sexuality than, than you do? Personally, I would say 
No, you treat them as equal. Like they're human beings that have the same value as you do just because they have a different lifestyle than you do. We shouldn't just cast the moral judgment on them and just try to police them. But as you said, it's a lot of learning and growing in that, in that gray space. And also the issue with learning is you have to say, actually, I don't know. I need to stay a bit, reflect, take a step back. The learning comes from that gray area and the growth as well. At the same time, there's a safety nest in the end of the spectrum. Yes. But also a bit of atrophy. Like you, you don't grow and grow when you do the learning, the hard work, the heavy lifting. And sometimes you injure yourself. Sometimes you injure others, unfortunately. But there's growth in that. You made a really powerful point and, and that I was thinking on. And you made a really important point about love. And I didn't want to mention it in my original definition of leadership, but I thought, can you imagine if part of that definition of was, right, in order to be a leader, firstly, you have to love yourself and you have to love the people that you're going to take on that journey so that you can lead them effectively. Can you imagine how different leadership would be if at the heart of it is I've got to demonstrate love to myself and love to you? And again, to your point, you know, I remember in around 2020, 2021, you know, I got a lot of demand globally from clients to to talk about how we're going to navigate these spaces around race. And I remember, you know, it's very, very different talking about race in the UK and in the US as it is in India than in, um, I had some uh, clients in Estonia, I had some clients in China, I had some clients in in France and what have you. And there were a part of it where I was saying to individuals, you, you need to be patient. Because, you know, if I, I remember when I, many years ago, I went to Singapore and there, I remember walking down the street briefly and lots of people wanted to take pictures with me. And I was just really uncomfortable. I'm like, I don't want to be on an internet forum somewhere where I'm just like, you know, some weird photo. I was like, this doesn't feel comfortable for me. And I remember saying it to some people and they were like, oh, I couldn't do that because of that. I just felt that was really racist. And for me, I, I looked at it as rather than it being willful ignorance where somebody was intentionally going out to harm you. For me, I felt... For a lot of these individuals who are here, yes, it was rare to see somebody, this six foot two black guy walking down the middle of Singapore. It was rare for them. And the culture is, is all like, well, here, let's take a photo and what have you. I didn't feel comfortable with it, but I didn't want to go to that extent to say, right, it was just racist. Having those conversations internationally, that really took me back a bit. And and again, look, I really understand about things like structural racism. I've seen post-colonialism, how it affects, you know, individuals. And I have, I had a really interesting conversation with, um, well, we're getting some work done on my house. And, and one of my workers, he's Polish. We were talking about discrimination. And he was saying, David, in Europe, the way we have been discriminated against from the East and from the West, and even though we have certain things that may not be perfect, he said certain things that have happened, he said, there are certain things I can align with you and we can understand. And we were having these conversations about, wow, this is a really mad alignment. I know if I took that conversation to a wider space, people were like, what? The comparison between Black and Polish, there is no, there is no you know, link between the two. But the thing I think that was the the common thread, again, was that sense of love. We created a conversation where we were like, both of us are coming with the best intention in the world. If either of us says something wrong, we're in that space where we can go, right, okay, I wouldn't agree with the way you said that, or this may be from a different angle, but it came from a really good place. And so the point that I really picked up and I loved in in, in your riff just now was kind of like really sparked me in my head is, what if that default for leadership meant that you had to have love? Love for yourself and love for the people that you are around. And when I talk about love, I'm talking about more family love, right? Rather than erotic love or whatever, because then it gets very complicated. <laughs> but the, what about more of the familial community love, as the kind of like the Greeks would call it, like storge, right? Or Philadelphia, Philadelphia, the more brotherly, fam, familiar love. How different would that be? So yeah, thank you for sparking that in me. That might be one of my books. Leadership needs love. <laughs>
Yeah, du- double L's, right? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. That's right. But I think, yeah, as you say, you have a vision and you want to bring change or good or whatever the vision might be about. You care about those people. You care about a cause. And when you do that, you do it sacrificially. To your point about leadership is how can we, even in those kind of conversations, how we lead with love. I know that also sometimes things need to be said. They need to be addressed head on. So you can't just always you know, brush on the carpet and be nice. But I think how we do that, it's also your boils down to the skill or, or style of leadership. Remind me, by the way, when we finish this podcast, I have to impress you with the little Romanian that I know. But we'll come back to that. <laughs> what are some of the people you follow or you've considered to be good leaders? A bit of why you, you do that. Hmm. I think there's a long list, but I, I've loved to see people across all areas. So I love to hear academic thought on it because there's a lot of challenges around. There's a lovely writer called Barbara Kellerman. And she has written around good and bad leadership, around followership and what have you. And I love some of her stuff. It's quite dry academic stuff, but I really love that because it really challenges your mind. Um, There are quite a few people on LinkedIn that I follow there as well. I love reading biographies of individuals from, you know, your your Stoics from Cicero and and all those individuals who are in that space to African leaders like Thomas Sankara. Basically, you know, the way he revolutionized Burkina Faso. I love reading about people like um, Che Guevara and Fidel Castro because they were so counter- with their problems as well, let's put that out there. And, and, and I'm increasingly, and this is one of the things that I've really loved about um, Jacinta, it's increasingly made me go to find out more women leaders, female presidents like, you know, Pakistan's um, Bhutto, to, to even, and this is an interesting one, oh, her name's gone from me now. She was a political dissident for years and then she became a leader and she got the Nobel Peace Prize with them. When, is it Myanmar? Yeah, Sam Suu Kyi, she's amazing. Amazing. I mean, there were, there were <laughs> as I said, there were some parts of what she did when she was in power that made me go, that's a bit problematic. You know, that's a real, a real challenging switch of events. But, you know, I, I, but I always go, you can campaign in poetry, but you govern in prose, right? Because when you're in there, it's very, very different. You know, it's one thing to talk about how you will change certain things, but when you're in positions of power, it's very, very different. So I love reading that stuff. And again, more and more, I'm trying to get my head around what it looks like to to see these very, you know, even, I mean, this sounds really, I'm going to say it because it sounds controversial. I'm really curious around what it was about somebody like despot like Adolf Hitler or Chairman Mao or individuals, or, you know, who were, or Stalin, who were responsible for this widespread devastation. What was it about them? Yes, there was a sense of fear, but there was also charisma. And they also tapped into people's fears about something else. And so they would dismiss that in order to follow through. So for me, I look and I'm I'm curious around both the good and the bad. I, I'm curious around across all domains. And I try to, and I say, you know, often like we're having this conversation here, often I will try to name the ones that people know, but then I try to go off and try and find the ones that people don't really know that well and think, okay, what is it about them that made people go, I'm actually going to follow you and that will make a difference. That makes sense? Yeah, it does. Great list of, of leaders. Like some of them are really you know, I love like Thomas Sankara. He's amazing. What he has done and like, how his life ended was quite sad. But again, just shows how he believed and he lived to the core the values he had. I love just the list you shared and how you just not focus on the, on the big ticket names, but also you go in a bit under the radar and see who are the people who maybe are less known, but actually are still doing or have done great, great things. No, definitely. And again, you know, it really feeds into this. And, and I love what you were saying earlier about just learning. There's reading something like Hitler is incredibly uncomfortable. And I am very well aware that when I do stuff like that, there, there are friends who are Jewish 
And so there are certain things about the Third Reich and the individuals that were involved and engaged in that. That's that's quite harmful. It's incredibly harmful. And, you know, and I think of something like somebody like Kanye, who, who, who went up and said, you know, look, I admire Hitler and what have you. And I, I don't admire him. I think the man was incredibly problematic, toxic, and 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 a, and a scourge on what's actually happened in our culture. But I also think that if you want to, I can't remember who the person was. I think it was uh, Cicero, the the Stoic, and he was saying, "If you don't learn from the past, you are always a child. If you don't learn from what's actually happened, you are always a child." And just to kind of like quickly dip into one of the points we were talking about around racism. You know, I, I, I'm not I'm not here to make people feel guilty for the past of what's actually happened. But I think it's incredibly important to understand the impact of what's, what has happened as a result of people turning, turning an eye or not really considering what people have done and the impact that it has had. I'll give you a very quick example, if I can. Increase, well, around the time of Brexit and afterwards, there was increasingly a lot of tension with people in the UK and people working in companies in the UK who were from an Eastern European background. And one of the issues that always came up was around directness. British people that just cannot take like a Romanian, a Bulgarian, a Polish, a Russian, they can't take the directness because there were times where they just want to beat around the bush and they're just like, you know, I love people to go, no, that's crap. (laughs) I'm like, okay, (laughs) you can take your safe space and run wherever you want with that one. But this is the candor that I want because I know exactly where I'm coming from. And then when I dug deeper into that conversation, when I was really exploring what was it that shapes that framing, if you've come from it, and I'm sure you can speak to this, if you've come from a background where you've had secret police, be it the Stasi, be it Russian, be it whatever, and there are individuals who you have to understand exactly what side of the pond they're standing on, for want of a better metaphor, you have to be direct. You haven't got time to be mealy-mouthed. You haven't got time to beat around the bush because you need to know where you stand and where they stand. And so I'm spending time with, you know, a lot of English and American directors who are like, you know, I think there are times where they need to couch it in a bit more. And I'm like, no, that's not going to work. Absolutely not going to work. What you need to do is get people to understand. I'm going to say to you, this is the way that people are going to communicate here. Somewhere in the middle, you've got to be able to understand. But for me, that was powerful because you can interpret that response as rude. Whereas if you understand the backstory, I get it. Absolutely get it. And I think there's a whole heap of British people that just need to move to Eastern Europe to understand that and then come back and get a sense of what it is. You know, it's definitely about being curious and and being able to understand where people come from. That for me, that's why I I go back to this point about love. When I hear that, I go, right, you know what? This is not rude because I haven't asked the question. And because I've been able to create a space where somebody trusts me. And again, look, you know, there are times where I've had this conversation where people have said to me, you know what, Dave, it's, it's, it's absolutely fascinating to me. I'm sitting here having this conversation opposite a black guy. My family wouldn't understand this. My friends wouldn't actually understand this because for my background, there's a limitation. With, but the conversation we're having, this is incredibly powerful for me, but it wouldn't happen. And I'm like, that's brilliant because it's trust. We love each other in the sense that there's that community. And that for me is quite powerful. Mind-blowing. Where, where to start? But to your point about how you communicate and how you... And the, again, when it comes to leadership, like I've experienced that, as you mentioned, as a Romanian, like when I was perceived as being rude or abrasive, aggressive, because I was, you know, straight to the point, understanding where that comes from. And you did a really good analysis. It's about honesty, like I'll give you my honest feedback. So wouldn't you want as a leader, somebody who actually supports you? Obviously, this is not what you want to hear because you think your idea is great. But at the same time, you, you want around people who challenge you in a good way because they want you to achieve because they don't want to see you failing at the end of the day with that project, for example. 
a challenge that I've seen as well, and you kind of brought it nicely. At times where leaders come, well, they need to adapt. They need to be more nicely, beat around the bush. For me, there's a challenge in the sense that why we have to mold and to become more accepted in the realms of leadership instead of find that middle ground where there's a learning. I learned that I need to kind of be more soft-spoken or maybe be a lot more courteous at times in kind of where I deliver my message. But also, as from the leadership side, there needs to be a learning about the other side as well. And then there's an intersection somewhere in the gray area. So um, when I was when I was doing, especially in 2020 and early 21, I, I came into a number of companies where there was a lot of misunderstanding around terms like privilege. There was a lot of confusion between the concept of the mattering of black lives and the political party or the political movement that was there. And I use this model, as I said, it was called Brave Conversations. It was my four L's. We start with love. Then we start to listen. We explore language. And then we go, the fourth L is then how do we leverage that learning between the three things that came before? And to your point, there was the big thing I said is, look, there are people who are really hurting now. And we have to give space to people who are hurting. It happened before with Me Too, where a lot of women who had felt that they didn't have a voice before um, were able to do it. And then people tried to dampen it down. I'm saying, no, you have to give people space. When people are hurting, give them a bit of space. But I also say to the people who are hurting, you've got to understand that people who are going through a journey, it's very confusing for them to learn. You have to have that kind of patience and that consideration to make sure that it goes both ways. And, and as you said, you know, look, I've traveled to Romania twice. Um, I, I went to Bucharest once um, to go and do a conference there. And I'm trying to remember the other city has gone for me now anyway. And, you know, there were, I remember going into Bucharest and I was in the, I think it's part of the new town, I think it's called. And, and I was there and I was doing this conference and then I was walking down the street and it was absolutely fine. And then I went down the street to the old town, the older kind of town. And I turned this corner and then like, I felt like everybody was looking at me. <laughs> and I was like, okay, this is dusk. I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm good. I'm going back into Newtown. I remember going back, going back to my hotel and just thinking to myself, damn, I had a bias in my head about this. They, people are just there minding their own business, sipping tea, having cake and having some food. I'm probably the last thing on their mind. They think, yeah, who is this guy walking in there? But whatever. And, and I use that as, again, like I said, in Singapore, when I've gone to Hong Kong, when I've gone to Australia or Africa, or, or, you know, I remember being in the Philippines. My wife and I went away to a destination wedding in the Philippines. We're walking through this town and, you know, everybody's staring at us. And I was like, I understand that. There's a six foot two black guy walking through this little village. Everybody's on their little bikes and people are wondering, who the hell is this guy? And being immersed, and this is one thing I will say as well, leaders need to travel both physically and mentally. Because being immersed in different spaces and, and experiences where you see how other people see the world, I believe that allows you to be more empathetic. I believe it allows you to be more understanding. I believe it allows you to lead by example. So you can say to people, look, I may not necessarily agree with you, but I understand from the breadth of your experience how this can actually happen. So yeah, I, I do believe there's space for those brave conversations, as I said, with love, good listening, understanding language and leverage and you know i just encourage people to be really patient and just keep trying on it it's not it's not a quick fix it's a journey like everything in life and as you said before very earlier in the, in the conversation it's constantly about learning sometimes it's about unlearning what we've had from before but it's always about going okay what can i learn new about myself today that can really make my team and myself better speaking about learning and again looking after oneself like what would be some of your tips or some of the practices you do when it comes to looking after your mental health your well-being what are the things you do to prioritize yourself as a leader one of the first things i do i, I never work on a saturday um so i grew up as a it's a protestant religion called seventh day adventist and we literally have like a like the jewish religion we have a sabbath so 
from sunset Friday to sunset Saturday, I would be um, with my family or at church and what have you. And I never worked. And even though I identify as agnostic now, I'm no longer religious, it's a practice that I still have. So I, I meditate. I, I have my weekly, like I, I never work on Saturdays. I'll go and I'll do maybe a little charity thing or what have you, but I just literally never work. And the reason for me is because it's that time where I can switch off. And, you know, I've turned down a lot of lucrative speaking and working gigs because I'm like, you know what? Money's good, but it's not everything. I spend a lot of good time. Like last night, it was quite funny. It was myself, my wife, and my two daughters. We were all on FaceTime for the best part of an hour. And we were just laughing and joking. And my, my eldest daughter, uh, she lives, you know, in North London. My youngest daughter, she's doing a year abroad in Spain. Me and my wife are in separate rooms in the house. And we were having this really good conversation. But those things give me energy because they remind me of why I do what it is that I do. One other thing I do, and I always recommend this to people, is I have suppers as well. So I sometimes people are like, oh, Dave, we've got to meet up. And, and I'm like, I've only got so much time in the day. And then I go, do you know what? I've got some nice people around me. And I'll get 12 people. And I go, right, we're going to Bar Rima, which is my Italian in Oxford Circus in London. And we go to Bar Rima and we sit down and I introduce all these people. And sometimes I'm out of there at nine o'clock. They're still there having conversations and I'm gone, I'm actually gone. But it's nice to know that in those times and in those spaces, there is a there is a way that I can switch off from work. I learn from work, but I also switch off. I do a lot of reading. I love going to galleries. I love art. I love listening to podcasts as well, right? I love contributing to podcasts. But it's a great way to just go, right, there is a certain amount of work that I can do which really benefits me, but it's just as equally important to have that rest, that restoration, and switch off. Oh, and, and my wife will never forgive me if I say, don't say this as well. I have date nights with my wife as well, right? <laughs> those are ring feds. Nothing can, nothing can affect those date nights. I am not a heart surgeon. You do not need me that urgently. I'm going on my date night. But those are some of the things that I do for rest and, and recovery. A great list as well. And yeah, as you said, the last one is very important. Yeah, it's very, very important. Not, not to forget. Very funny on my end that I realized the same that on Saturday, I don't know why, as you say, I just feel that naturally fills my body. It's like, I need to actually rest on Saturday. The sort of pandemic I was reading your book about solitude, restness, and so on. And one thing they were mentioning about is, as you said, about the Sabbath and the idea of how to take that day of rest. And I implemented some some habits that even now that I do them, I really, really enjoy. For example, like I do my shopping on a Friday evening, so I don't have to do it on Saturday. And then on Saturday, I just literally relax, chill, do other stuff. It energizes me and replenishes me because you say we need to rest as well, not only to just learn, because there's a lot of actually learning that happens might be in the background while we rest in a way. But absolutely fascinated by, by that. And thank you for, for sharing that. Two things that I usually ask all my guests at the end of the podcast is, and one of them, what stereotypes about men do you dislike the most? That we can't be soft. That strong and soft can't coexist. And that often comes up around talking about a concept of alpha male. And um, we can be strong and soft. Softness isn't weakness. It shows an ability to be able to adapt. And so when I hear those stereotypes that we only have to be strong and we have to be out there and what have you, I just think, no, we don't. And there's a lots of men in different cultures and different societies and across the world that have been able to be both. So I don't like that singular narrative that we just have to be strong. I think we can be soft as well. Powerful. I love that. It's a good, good summary, basically, of what we discuss when it comes to leadership, masculinity, and so on. Thinking about masculinity, what would be some of the traits you think that are good around healthy masculinity we should focus on? Um, as men, I think we need to talk more we have incredibly high suicide rates as men. There are other issues around anxiety and depression. And, and again, I, I know there's a spectrum here, but there are incredibly high rates around that because of the pressures and the expectation of being able to, to do things and to provide and, and people not being able to do that obviously messes people up. And for me, I'm, I mean, I have therapy. 
And, uh, and I say it to a lot of men as well. The reason why I have therapy is not to fix me, but to see how I can do things different and to make myself better. Because where I am now has been shaped by my childhood. You know, whether or not people want to believe in developmental psychologies and all the rest of it, a lot of the stuff that I know or my expectations or my behaviors are very much how I wanted to please my parents or people around me. So what I want to make sure is if I do that, I do it in a healthy way. And so for me, getting help is one of the big things that I think men should never be afraid of doing. It doesn't, again, come back to the point that's around softness. It's not around weakness. It's around that ability to be able to have people work with you. I think men really thrive from being around other men as well. There are going to be sometimes we just need our men space. We need our men cave, our boy cave, where we are just like, <laughs> just men. And again, I think we, we have to be mindful of how we carry ourselves in those spaces, but I think it's important to have that. So yeah, community is a big thing for me. Self-care is big, but community is a big thing. And I'm, I'm part of a couple of male groups, one or two, where for me, it's so good. I, you know, I'm, I'm in a family with my, my wife and my two daughters and I absolutely love them to pieces, but there are times where I just need male energy. But yeah, there, there's an underlying piece for me, which is around care. And, and it's just making sure that men are able to recognize that masculinity does not necessarily mean that we have to be this warmongering hunting, fishing, you know, mountain climbing dude who doesn't have, feel no pain, there are times where we can just tap into stuff that allows us to have that self-care. While I was listening to you, I kind of just summarized it, like the three C's about communication, you know, we need to talk more about counseling, get the support you need in order to grow and do the learning, but also in the same time, the care that we need and part of community and so on. Absolutely brilliant. Before we go, can you tell people if they want to learn more about you, if they want to get in touch with you, be coached by you and so on, where they can do that? So the simplest way is just to go to my website, davidmcqueen.co.uk. Or if you've gone LinkedIn, I'm on there, just follow me and, and, and that's absolutely fine. Thanks for listening and I hope you find the conversation with David inspirational. Don't forget to check out his website in the caption of this episode alongside the holiday destination in Palma de Mallorca this summer and... Hit me up on any issues, anything on Instagram. Stay safe and keep listening to Mentality Podcast.